You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. I love talking to people about their life journey, not just where they are right now and their new shiny thing that they have or they're doing, but how they got there. The doubts, the fears, the challenges, all of it. Because I believe that so often we are putting our feelings of being worthy, successful, fulfilled, enough, lovable outside of ourselves. Like we're chasing these things. Once I have this, then I'll feel it. Then people will think this of me. And oftentimes we just keep on chasing it and chasing it and chasing it. So I believe it's up to us to claim it, claim your worth, claim your value, claim your success, right? Now. And on today's episode, I had the best time talking to Denise Woods. She's most known as a celebrity vocal coach, like top of Hollywood working with them on the movie sets on their voice. Yeah, super cool. So I loved learning about how the heck did she get there? And then She wrote a book called The Power of Voice, A Guide to Making Yourself Heard, and it just came out, and it's not for actors. Yes, it would help actors, and there's a lot of stories in there from actors, but the power of using your own voice to stand up for yourself, to stand up for the things that matter to you, and, um, well, you know... (laughs) We talk about it in the episode, so let's just get to it. Anyway, I love Denise. Tune in. Stay tuned in. Here we go. Okay, so I like starting with learning about like what was life like for you growing up? And then especially around the high school ages where I can feel like there can be that pressure of like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? So either maybe you have a big dream or... Okay, I have to get a job. I have to do that, you know. So what was life like around those ages for you? Well, let's start let's start with high school and then we can go back and then we can go forward. Wherever it happens to go. (laughs) Exactly. High school, in hindsight, was the best time of my life. And the closest friends to all of us, all of them, we are each other's closest friends. We come together. Um, once, sometimes twice a year, we're all over the world and we come together and we have reunions. We have high school reunions, wow. the class of 1975 from the high school of performing arts that the movie fame was based on. Amazing. So we are artists. We are eclectic. We are musicians, dancers, actors that went off to do amazing things. Some people ended up being lawyers. Some, you know, uh, we have a myriad of professions that 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 let that really started with our years at performing arts. And we call it PA. We knew then that we were fortunate that we were these kids that were different. Because we were all different kids in our neighborhoods. We had to audition to get into this school. And it was very, very tough. It was highly competitive. Um, and so we knew, and, and you had to have good grades in your middle school. So it wasn't just you had to have talent. Just, not just talent. No, it wasn't right. just talent. It wasn't just talent. And so we were all the gifted ones. and But it wasn't giftedness with 
a sense of snobbery or feeling that we were better. We had such a wonderful sense of community because it was the 70s. And our school was in New York. Our school was in Times Square. We used to quit school in second act Broadway shows. Uh, we used to we used to cut class and talk about art. You know, we it was the 70s. We were smoking cigarettes and talking about art and and going to museums and reading literature. And it was just great. It was amazing. That sounds amazing. So how do you get there? Because you even mentioned, you know, like having so much fun, community connection you still have, but also that you all sort of felt like out. I don't know if you use the word outside, yeah. but you said something like that. So before getting into that school, yeah, did that have an effect on your self-esteem, this feeling of being different? Like did getting accepted to that school change a lot of how you felt about yourself in life? Absolutely. All of us felt that when we got accepted into that school, we found our tribe. And so prior to that, because we were all, you know, smart kids, we were we were always in the gifted academic aspects of middle school. But I always felt that I was just a little bit left of center, you know, in, in my family. Um, I mean, when it when it when it showed up to be this art, artistic person, um, everybody said, oh, that's what that is. Oh, she's an artist. But people didn't know. They just knew I was different. I was different. And that difference was I didn't like to hang out with the girls like everybody was doing that. And I was like, no, no, I don't. That's not me. Uh, Or or it it, it really I, I, I can't explain it so much. I never really felt fully invested until I found Tribe, which was a bunch of kids who were just like me, who loved the arts, who loved talking about the arts, who who hung out. And we were we were the hip, cool kids. We dressed differently. Um, you know, we were hippies in our own way. Um, and 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 prior to that, it 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 it, it I just didn't feel fit in. And did your family nurture that like you're wanting to even apply to that school and go on the artist path? Absolutely. Absolutely. They knew it. They knew it because they knew that. um, And I didn't come from a family of artists, but they knew instinctively that art and singing would enhance where I ultimately wanted to go. That art was the, the, the key to to a sense of expression because I grew up in church. I grew up singing in church and singing in the choir and, and that kind, we knew what the singing voice was and, and being a part of, 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 of a spiritual artistic community meant. So it was important that, that, that once I got in, that it was fulfilled. And then when I graduated, I I got into Juilliard at 17 and I auditioned for Juilliard and got in and, um, and, and Robin Williams was two years ahead of me. I was in the class two years behind Robin Williams and David, the actor, the African-American actor, Keith David was in my class and mom just kind of knew that let her do her thing, you know, because she's going to land on her feet. That's great to have that support. And um, I'm guessing 
it wasn't like easy. Like even though you got into the school and then you got into Juilliard, like that must have mean that you were fully putting yourself into. That was the beginning. Getting into those schools was the beginning. Staying in those schools required work. Like staying there and not just staying there, being the best, like being, giving it your all, being completely invested. It's where I learned my work ethic, actually, because I just didn't want, I, I, I was never the kind of kid who was just about the fun of it. I wanted to be, not just do it for fun. I want to have fun while I'm doing it, but I really wanted it to be deep, richly invested. I'm I'm that way with everything. And I think I'm, I was that way as a child, even. It had to be meaningful or else why bother? Yeah. And I make up that people that are pursuing artistic paths like that, that majority probably do have that more of thing. you know, whereas like, oh, you're going to, well, of course, if maybe it's law school or doctors, like those like specific fields, a lot of if you're in college, it's just like, you're just getting through, like maybe, you know, like, unless you're not a super academic person that wants the best grades, but yeah, if you're like, I have talent and I want my talent to be like known in the world and expressed and I want people to feel it, then like, it feels like a more, but does that feel in wanting to be the best? Does that also then feel competitive with everyone else? Or is it sort of, I want to be the best, but I also am supporting, like, where is that balance? You know? It's interesting because, and I have seen, I want to be the best at the expense of anybody else around me, but I've been fortunate that the class that I was in at the High School of Performing Arts and the class that I was in at Juilliard, we knew, we, I was in two amazing companies of, of young actors that we knew that we were only as good as the actors around us. And so we, we knew that my success was your success and your success was my success. And we, particularly at Juilliard, we had a company of actors that were so supportive of each other, that were there for each other. And, and then of course the class above us, they imploded horrifically um, because they were not of that ilk. You know, and so you saw what it didn't ha- when at its worst and you saw it at its best. And I was fortunate enough to be in the company that was supportive. And that narrative was when it worked at its best. And so when you were attending both in the high school and then getting into Juilliard, were you was was acting the main thing you wanted or were you also like singing? Were you pursuing all of them? Like, what did you imagine for yourself out of college? It's interesting because before I got to, before I got to high school, I sang opera. I sang with the New York City Opera. I sang with the New York City Children's Opera. And what made me completely do a 180 was when I read a Shakespeare play. I just got Shakespeare. I just love the poetry, the rhyming couplets. I understood where most kids don't understand what's the, the story, can can barely decipher what's going on. Right, they probably I don't even got. have the patience to get through. Like, to no, figure it out because like, exactly. what is this? I know, I know, I got it. I got it right away. And so I never had a sense of, I want to be a star or this is my ticket. This is, I want to be, um, you know, in movies or on Broadway. I wanted to tell stories. I wanted... I wanted to delve into characters because I was a painfully shy girl and delving into these characters made me feel empowered. 
It made me feel, um, uh, it made me, it, it, it helped develop my voice. Was that like, because it's not you. So you get to be. That's exactly you know, right. You know, you're, you can feel that you're shy. You feel maybe awkward in situations. Mm-hmm. Or something. And so this is like, well, I'm, this isn't me. So like that's right. allowed you to do all these things yes. in your real life. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. So it wasn't even a matter of stardom or this is my ticket to become, you know, <gasps> the next whoever. It was really um, the, the theater community that I absolutely loved being a part of. And 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 the ability to go and delve into these characters that are nothing like me and to be able to to speak to speak through them. And so then what where did you go after and did you end up graduating? I graduated. I graduated and was asked into the acting company. Juilliard had an has had an acting company and still has it um, at the time. And I was the first African American woman asked into their their acting company in 1979. Wow. And then I went on performing um, lots of regional theater, lots of classical theater. It was in the late 70s, early 80s, where there was a lot of what they called colorblind casting, meaning they would they would cast you know the best actor does it matter does it we want the best actor from the role it doesn't matter what the ethnicity is and so um america just had to get used to that because theater companies all around the country at that period were casting really good actors no matter what the ethnicity and the background was as long as you had the chops and you were the best but the best actor for for the job um you got cast and so i did a lot of regional theater i played a lot of classical roles around the country and then Juilliard called and asked if I would join the faculty. And in 1992, I became the first African-American woman to join the drama division faculty, full-time um, drama division faculty in 1992. The head of the division uh, at that time was new. He was my third year acting teacher. And then in 1992, he became the head of the drama division. And he looked around and said, okay, we need black people on this faculty. I don't know what has been going on, but we need to change that. And so I was invited to the faculty in 1992. And so I taught at Juilliard from 1992 to 2000. And then in 2000, I moved to California to head the speech department at California Institute of the Arts. And I taught there for 12 years and then retired so that I could pursue my coaching, uh, my Hollywood coaching career. I want to get into all of that. Let's go back. So what was that though? When you immediately, or when you first got approached to teach, was that something that right away felt interesting to you? Or was there a part of you like, oh, am I giving up acting? Like, was that something like, how did that feel to move into teaching from performing? It, you know, it's so wonderful that you ask because there's a, those who act, act, and those who can't teach. That's yeah. It, it's you can't such a, see it's me, an but early a sort of rolling eye squinty thing. Like I'm not <laughs> buying that. <laughs> That's you know that was the known kind of you know misnomer back so then. then. It would make you if feel you, like if you were a teacher, then that automatically meant I failed. I'm not. You failed. You, I failed as an actress. Yeah. That's right. That's exactly what it was. And so so, but what what made me honored was that it was Juilliard. I mean. I, when Juilliard calls, you go. It's not like Juilliard's you know? calling you off the tour. Like we've seen that you're terrible. So we're going to hire you away from this performing arts. 
The world was alerted. Can somebody please hire her? <laughs> please, please snatch her off the stage, put her in a classroom. You know, um, it wasn't that at all. It was an opportunity of a lifetime, which really led me to my real calling and my real passion. I'm so glad that I had the presence of mind to make that decision because I always felt at some point that I would get back to acting. I get back to it. I'll come back. I'm just going to do this until my son is in high school. My son is in okay. college because I'm a single mom. So, you know, yeah, so, like, of course. so I couldn't, I didn't want to um, drag him all over the country and the world to, to, you know, with a nanny to raise my child. I wanted to be a hands-on mom and this afforded me the opportunity to do it. And I said, and I'll do it until he's, he can, you know, fend for himself. And then I realized that when he got of that age, I didn't want to leave. I wasn't ready to leave. And I wasn't ready to leave because I realized that I had more to learn, not more to give. I had more to learn. Interesting. And my students have taught me um, just as much as I've taught them. They've opened my mind. I stayed with young people at a, at a, at a time from 92 to 2012 is, 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 is a wonderful period of time where um, technology changed. The world was changing. And my students kept me abreast of what was going on. My students were keeping me and helping me and ushering me into the 21st century. So I needed them as much as they needed me. And then me. that whole time, were you doing voice coaching or did that shift mm -hmm. as well? And what is that? No, the whole time. What is voice coach? Because I uh, I worked with in music for a long time. I toured as a sound engineer for years. So when I think of voice Ooh. coach, then I automatically think for singers. So I was intrigued mm -hmm. of like, oh, for actors. I had never really thought about that. It is. Well, in Hollywood, it's in preparation for actors who are preparing for a role. And 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 and. Vocal coaching, I'm not, I'm not, I'm this, of the speaking voice usually happens in university or at conservatory because a lot of actors study the voice in school. They study voice work and that means breath work, connecting the voice to the breath and, and really delving into the, 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 the articulation of speech and speech sounds and, and, and dialects, all of that is taught at, at the university level and the conservatory level. And those people who haven't gone to the university and gotten fine arts degrees, you know, will then seek me out to do some work privately. But my work in Hollywood comes with giving actors dialects that are very specific to characters, to a, a specific character. And what I basically do is I connect the dots. We together connect the dots of why this character speaks a particular way, where they're from, you know, what what constitutes this this dialect, what makes up not just the way they speak, but but how they navigate in the world, how they, what, what the physicality is, what the physical attributes of the character, um, the character and is. And it could be even like emotionally, and, right? What absolutely, which really affects the voice and, and, and it, it, dead spot on. And, it, and it's inherent in text. It's inherent. You can tell how a character is behaving or, uh, or the characteristics of a, of a character by the way the writer has written it. I'm working on a, on a project right now. And I told the actor, I said, look at the commas that the writer has put 
in here. She's hesitating. She's not just speaking. She's not just saying she is doing. There's a hesitation. He's pausing. You know, I and, and so it gives you the sense there's a hesitation. Why is there a hesitation? And so when I do that kind of work, which is so fulfilling to break down and to look into why a character is doing or is speaking the way they speak. So wonderful. So yeah, it's you are helping them develop the character. Absolutely. Through the gaze of the voice. And and it's hard. Yes, I am essentially helping them develop the character, but we're concentrating on the voice. So so it, it helps that I was once an actor because what a character is doing and what a character needs will impact the voice. So, you know, so it's all connected. The acting, the voice, the physicality, the backstory is all connected. And so I did all of that in Hollywood and, and, and it's quite fulfilling, but there came a point where I said to myself, I need to take this into the world. I need for people to understand the power that they possess in everyday life, the power that they have to vocalize, to, 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 to vocalize their truth to verbalize their truth without it necessarily being a platform, you know, for social change or social justice. It could just be, I want, um, you know, cleaner water in my, in my area. You know, it could be something as I want, I want better choices of vegetables in my neighborhood, you know? So I, I want a supermarket. I was even thinking of just in your personal relationships, how hard it can be for many women, especially, or people that are givers to ask for support or to ask for help, Absolutely. right? Like, I, like, can you watch the kids for 10 minutes can even be like such a challenge. I, I saw somebody on social media today who's a past guest who requested that she, for her, for her husband, that she take the morning off so that she stayed in bed like on a weekday and he got the kids up and, you know, got them breakfast and got them to school. and like simple but yeah. like how big and so many people were writing back like how did you do that how do you ask for help how do you <laughs> it's true it's true i i'm a giver so i understand i i don't receive help oh i do now because i've taught myself to i don't receive gifts i don't receive help and i've learned to because when people give you a gift and people are giving you help it's their gift to you. And, and what I had to do was reverse the paradigm. You know, when I'm giving this gift to somebody, it would hurt my feelings if they, they rejected it. So I said, the same way in which you are offering your gift, your help, is the same way that they feel by offering theirs to you. So receive it with the same kind of open mind that you did when you gave. That's the same thing that helped me get through that too. The same thing where I was always like not good at receiving, but would go out of my way to do anything for anyone else. And then seeing like, it feels so yep. good to me when I help someone. Yes. So why would we deprive that from someone who wants to do it for us? And so you can think of like, I'm giving them the opportunity to help me and they will feel good. So you That's can right. like think of it as giving. That's right. That's right. <laughs> giving them the chance to feel yes. good by helping me. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. That's how I rationalized it as well. Psst, Trisha here, bringing you a brief interruption. 
to remind you or to tell you if you don't know, I have a daily inspiration app. You can download it in the Apple App Store and the Google Play App Store. And it's called Own Your Awesome. What it is is hundreds of powerful thoughts and affirmations, sort of like a virtual card deck. You can come to it at any time and hit the show me a card button. Today, I opened it up and got the very simple affirmation of I am necessary. And it kind of took my breath away. (laughs) It was just like, thank you. I'm going to hit show me a card again. I got, oh, I love this reminder. It all comes down to love. Everything is either coming from a place of love or a call for love, which is a great reminder for me that sometimes people do things and they think, you know, it's because they love you. They try to talk you out of what you want. They try to, I don't know, just the way people show up, just thinking about that it's either an act of love because they love you or because they actually need love. It just helps me, helps me to think of things like that. Okay, I had another one. You can believe in the negative stuff or the positive stuff. It's your choice. You can have faith and trust or doubt and fear. It's your choice. You can also have all of them. But just reminding yourself, if you're stuck in a doubt and a fear and a worry, is this where I want to be? What else do I want to believe? So anyway, hundreds of powerful thoughts and affirmations. You can shift through them, see which one speaks to you. A lot of people say they get exactly what they need, and I love hearing that. You can also set a reminder in the app so you can come to, you know, you set a a time and every day at the same time, it'll give you a reminder. Go check the app because, you know, we forget to do these things that make us feel good. So check it out. It's easy to share. You can also gift the app, but I mean, you can share cards. I like this one. Let me share it. You can hit the heart button to favorite. There's even a journal section inside the app. So you can have your little like private space to talk about what the card says, talk about your feeling, whatever you like. Anyway, it's only $3.99. There's never any other prices or charges. There's no ads. And I add to it regularly. So get it, $3.99, that's like less than a coffee these days for hundreds of powerful thoughts and affirmations to get you out of your head and into your now. So yeah, so you said, when was this something that you felt like bubbling over time or like a sudden moment of like, no, I still love working with actors in my work, but I want to, you know, share this message with people. I'm going to tell you, it really happened it was something that was, was simmering. It didn't bubble. It was simmering over time. And then when I saw the parents of Trayvon Martin gunned down and I saw them thrusted into the public eye and them having to speak through their pain nationally to the world and their ability to articulate what that was, and they were brave. I just felt I want to help people on every level be able to articulate what it is that they want to put into the world, no matter big or how small. It was really that event that was a catalytic event for me, seeing that family oh, through all of their pain, you know, in, on, on a public stage you know, talking about their pain. And I thought I could help people on on so many levels to be able to find their voices, articulate their voices, because now, now they have been thrust into social activists. 
not because they wanted to. That's what. And so how many times and it, it, that was just an example of how many times are we thrust into a situation where we are forced to use our voices and uh, on a platform, be it large or small, that we didn't even anticipate. And so I, I felt I got to take this information that I know to be true and to be effective and useful to actors to craft a character. I got to take it to everybody. I got to be able to offer it to people who uh, can can persuade and can utilize um, uh, their voices to 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 just change their world, not the world, but to change their world. Like you said, she asked her husband to get up and it, that changes your world substantially when you have a couple more hours to sleep in. And it was just like, no, she wanted to sit in bed and journal and write her, like, drink her coffee and stuff. But like, yeah, like we, we are all worthy of having that time. We are all worthy of so many moms. Yeah. It's like, what? You did what? Mm -hmm. I didn't know you could do that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Without guilt. Because then, then the guilt slips in and like, I, I'm not, I, I, I'm not the great mom. I, I, when I, I don't have mom guilt, like, oh, my kids are missing me. I end up feeling guilt for that. Their dad needs to watch them. But I'm like, wait, I have always doing more, but yet, oh, wait, I'm going to an hour later, whatever. (laughs) Just like, that's where it can show up. So, so yeah. So, so this book has nothing to do with acting. Yes. I mean, it does because you do do a lot of actors stories in it. But meaning it's not a book just for acting. Well, I can't say it doesn't have anything to do with acting because it has. That's, the- what, that's what I meant. So, yes, you and yes, you do give your stories. You have so many stories in here. But this is not like a book if you want to be an actor. No, but it would absolutely help not. anyone who wants to be. An actor. It helps anyone because I use the principles that we use in acting for and, and, and put them in daily application for everyday people. The language that we use in acting, like what do I want? What is my objective? You know, story, a story has a beginning, a middle and an end and, and, and an arc, the arc to the story and it crescendos. So I use a lot of the verbiage. I use a lot of the language that we use in acting, but I really break it down for everyday people to understand and to get on board with because I use these wonderful narratives of people that have contributed to the book. Some are stars. Some are broadcast journalists. Some are, are, are NFL football players. I have an ex-NBA basketball player. I have an Olympic gold medalist. I have a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. I have a transgender woman. I have a woman who was unfortunately abused sexually by her, a family member from the time she was five. And all of these stories, and I I tell my own story, personal story, and all of these stories combined are um, a wonderful vehicle to empower, to encourage, and to inspire people to what, through no fault of their own, or whatever hurdle that they find they have to get over, to put their voices into the world, to use their voices as a tool for change, personal change or political or social change, but to be able to use your voice and to give it as if it was a gift to society. And so not only do I use these wonderful narratives and my memoir stories threaded throughout, 
I give you exercises. I don't just inspire. It's prescriptive. I have these wonderful, easy exercises that that you can do when you're driving from point A to point B to pick up the kids from a play day. You know, articulation exercises, which give your your articulators more agility. It gives you more strength in the articulator so that if you find that when I get nervous, um, my my voice gets kind of raspy and I really can't get around particular sounds because I'm tense. I give you relaxation exercises. I give you breathing exercises, which I say breath is to voice what gasoline is to a car. If you don't have gas in your car, your car goes nowhere. And so breath is at the basis of this work. And so I do a lot of breath work. I have an entire section, deep rib diaphragmatic breathing that I want people to connect to because breath is source. It's no no, um, uh, happenstance or coincidence that Eastern spiritual practices like yoga and meditation are based in a a practice that utilizes the breath because it goes deep. It goes deeply into your, uh, your emotional well. And I tell people, this is not therapy. When we go deeply into deep breathing so that we can then start vocalizing because the breath, as I said, is what's going to propel the voice. The breath is what's going to support the voice. But when we go into these deep exercises and deep breathing, people start crying. They they get really, because they are accessing a place that we are taught in society that we can't go. We are taught as young children, suck it up, grin and bear it. Suck it up means when you suck it up, that means you're not breathing. When you suck it up and, and, and someone is saying, are those tears I see? Oh, you want me to give you something to cry about? Oh, you're crying? You know, or how about this one? Men don't cry. Men don't cry. Or put your big girl pants on. Suck it up and go in there and get that job. So it really it really prevents us from going deep and, and deep into our emotional well with breath. And so that's where all of this work is based on. I love it. I think I was so excited to, um, yeah hear about you in the book. I want to ask you some more questions back into your life. You mentioned, you know, being the first black woman or maybe several times. How did that feel? And like, how did you maneuver that, like getting into that place? Because I'm guessing once you're get that job that then you have people both celebrating and then also were there other people like, yeah, like, how are you able to get through and maybe I'm not even that too, but also then working with, you know, moving to LA and working with stars and stuff too, like things that might've been different or similar of like, how did you get through emotionally these? It's so wonderful that you ask this question because I jump, I'm the kind of person that jumps. I just jump in. So when it, it wasn't at the time that I looked at it and said, oh, I'm the first one. I saw it in hindsight. It's, I look back because I just jump and I go. I jump in and then I get there and I meet the person who's a star and, I, and, 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 and she's just like you and me. And she's so wonderfully, you know, down and normal and, and, and you know, receptive. And so then I look back in hindsight and go, oh my God. You know, but but when it's the time when 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 I'm supposed to show up, I show up and I show up in my fullness. I show up in my fullness because, again, 
I have learned to honor my voice, to honor what I have, because I'm the expert. I say there are no two voices that are alike. It's a voice print. A voice print means your unique voice. No one else's voice is like yours. No one has, you know, someone may know a little bit more about the subject, as I'm sure someone knows more. There, there are speech pathologists with PhDs that know so much more about the voice than I do. But nobody can do what Denise Woods does. And I honor that. Right. But maybe that person is not very good at working one on one with an actor like they might have so much more information, but the personality to you know, relate it. That's right. They may not know how to convey it. They, they have it. They, they've got the clinical. They've written papers on it. They've written books about it, but they may not know how to share it. You know, so what we have, the special sauce that we have is is unique to to each individual. And so what I've been able to do is to take that uniqueness and just jump and to just jump in both feet because I see it's about the work. It's not about me. It's about the work. I've got something to give. It's about the story. When people are speaking, it's about the story. I say the story is the star. My work is the star, not me. And so a lot of times I don't even remember that my my clients, my friends are stars. One time I was sitting in a restaurant with a friend of mine and people were staring at us. And I'm like, why are people staring at me? What is wrong? And then I realized, oh my God, my friend is a star. That's what it is. Oh, okay. You know, I, I just jump in, make relationships with people and, and they become my friends. I, and I forget that they're who, you know, everybody sees them because they're just regular people like you and I. No, I get that too. And like from working with singers and because then I started touring with people as their joyologists as well, which was like keeping them grounded and healthy and inspired in body and mind. And I still am good friends with some of these people. And I sometimes uh, also just think of them as my friend or this person, but also not even being in public with people, but like, then they'll start singing and I'll be like, oh, that's right. You have a really good voice. Like, I'll be like, well, you are a really good singer. Oh, right. I forgot. <laughs> that happens all the time. <laughs> oh, you are so talented. Oh, right. That's originally how we met. Okay, right. <laughs> yes, yes, And yes, then back yes, when you started yes. your own practice, though, too, like, what was the, was that when you started to, when you were working at the college in LA, or you, you first- California Institute of the Arts, yes. There. And then did you start to sort of working with Hollywood actors while you were there, too? Or like, yeah, what made you start that transition to going out on your own? Because that's a big leap. Uh, you, one, just the word of mouth, word of mouth. When you're really good at something, someone's going to tell another person and then another person and then another person. And so I had to get a studio. I had to get a studio in Hollywood uh, so that I could be centrally located and, and not teach out of my home. And so I, I, I got a studio and just started teaching young actors that didn't have the university um, uh, training, the conservatory type training. They wanted to come and study with me. Uh, and, and then what would happen is they would book jobs. And then once they started booking jobs because their voices changed, their agents said, oh, my gosh you know you booked this because your voice changed. And then the agent started sending me all Got of their it. clients. And then, and, 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 and then, and now my name is on the roster of every major agent in this town. Um, 
I, I, I have, I then being the businesswoman that I am, I sent out, I, I looked up all of the, the, the major acting coaches in Los Angeles. And I went to the top three and said, send me one student. I will train them for free. I said, but the proviso is that they can't come to you while we're training. Send them to me. I'll take them for six weeks and I'll send them back to you. And they said, good. And I said, I'll do it for free. They said, good. That actor in all three studios went back and everybody was just like, oh my God, listen to that voice. What did you do? And so that's how I build my private practice, by giving it away. I'm so glad I asked that because same, that's like how a lot of launching my careers have start from like, I just want to do this and let me prove myself. That's right. And then... (laughs) That's exactly what it was. Finding the people and say, identifying the people and then saying, I'm going to give you something. Try it. Try it. Let's let's just do an experiment. And so now it's and it, 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 it's just flooded. It flooded my business. It's kept me afloat. And in between the in between the the movie gigs, because I would get one movie a year the two movies and then the movie people. And and so then I started being hired by the actors themselves, which is wonderful because when a star comes in and a star requests me to be paid by the studio, the studio gives the star whatever they want. And and so I don't need an agent to negotiate my contracts anymore because now the stars are requesting me. And how did that go with like the navigating then of like, okay, I'm putting myself out there for free. Now like setting rates. Okay, now, you know, this balance, but also then you're getting all this work and then stars. Did you have any fear of like, oh, now I have to say no to these clients while I'm doing this movie. And so what happens if nothing, you know, or just were you always able to trust that it, you're going to keep working? It's going to keep happening. Cause I'm guessing you have to start saying no a lot. Yeah. I, I, but, but, but it was my mother that helped me navigate, you know, creating boundaries so that you didn't, I didn't feel I always felt there was a point, not always, there was a point in the career where I felt I was getting the short end of the stick because I was, I was constantly in demand and constantly saying yes to everybody and saying no was very difficult for me. And I had to learn that. And so what I said was not no, but not now. It wasn't no, it's just not now because I'm doing this. And so what I need you to do is contact these three colleagues of mine and I'm giving you resources in lieu of studying with me. I'm giving you resources. And I started training people that looked at what I did and said, I would like to do that. So I've trained a couple of people that that now have very wonderful careers that when I can't do something, I send the people to them and I tell people I train them. So they're they're legit. But but again, I had to sort of lay down boundaries. In, even with with major stars, I had to learn to say no, no matter who they and they were okay with no. I remember one time, I, I think it was Hallie who said to me, she says, Denise, no is a complete sentence. I was like, you don't have to say no because I well, no because I just no. Yeah, yeah. No, I was sure I was like, because it sounds like so in demand, so successful, and that's great, but that can also then come with 
other things to navigate and yeah, yeah like saying other no and then some people can be navigate. the fear of saying no I won't other have the work or oh I train these people and then everybody right. calls them and not right. me and <laughs> but it's so wonderful it's yeah and see that you've got to be really secure in what you do and and if they do call because it's so interesting I have a great example of this a major music star called me and I was in the studio doing the audiobook for my book. And I said, I'm in the studio recording, recording my audiobook because they are starting to be an actor. They they're they're segueing from music into, into film. And so they want, because they are a singer, they want to approach the work from the voice. We'd work together several times, love each other. I said, I can't do it. So I sent him to the person that I trained, who's an amazing voice teacher. He heads the speech department. He took over my job when I retired. He's he's great. And so I called the guy, the, the teacher that I trained the next day and said, oh, I forgot to tell you, this is my quote. And he said, oh, Denise, I already gave him a quote. And it was significantly lower than my quote. And I thought to myself, well, if he's going to go and get it cheaper, he's not coming back to me. I said, he, if he can go get it cheaper someplace else, he's not coming back. And this is what I said. If that's the case, then he's meant to be with that coach and not me. That's, you know, because I was like, oh, man, I, but I love this guy. Well, well, so so be it. He's off. He can get it significantly cheaper there. Go. And the reason why he can get it significantly cheaper is because I've got movie credits, you know, as as I move up the ladder, so does my quote, you know, and his quote is not as high because he doesn't have those credits. And um, do you know the next job, the artist called me and we didn't even talk money. I just said, oh, I thought you worked with my client and then you would you would stay with him. He said, Denise, I love you. I'm never leaving you. And I thought, see, when you when you toss it to the universe and say, I give it up, I release it. If it's meant to come back, it will. Yeah, I love it. I also sh love just the fact even that you were shared your quote with the person that you were recommending, you know, because I think it can be people can be so secretive about money. And so it's also like the fact that his quote is low. Yeah, he doesn't have the movie credits, but he also just might not even know what to charge. Exactly. People are afraid to charge like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't tell them this is job. So I'll put the price down here. Maybe they'll say yes, because they're afraid of getting no. That's and that's exactly the reason why I told him, because I knew he would. I don't want to say dumb it down. He would minimize, he would cut himself short. He would minimize it. And I said, I should have called you yesterday because you can get this. This is what I charge. And this is what you can get too. And he said, I already said my quote. Well, it all worked so, out yeah. for everybody in the long run, it seems like. <laughs> it did. It really, okay, really I'm did. Get really quick to the questions I ask everybody. I'm bringing up this picture here. I have a product line of different motivational phrases. And these are all phrases that go on keychains in my line. And I ask mm -hmm. everybody to pick not necessarily which one they like the most, but which one they feel they want as a reminder in their life right now is why and why. Like, which phrase do you feel like, oh, yeah, I would love to see that every day and be reminded of it. <laughs> the one that sticks out right away and and um, it, the one that sticks out is let that shit go. And why is that one sticking out to you? Well, because. um. I can 
feel the physical embodiment of holding on to shit, on holding on to stuff. I mean, I'm at the age now where it doesn't just consume my, it doesn't just consume real estate in my head. It affects my body. It affects my physical and, and, and the ability and, um, and the reason why I'm so cognizant of it is because my mother seven years ago was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and in doing the research and being there with her and she's fine. She really is. I mean, on the Parkinson spectrum, she's doing quite well. She's 85. But, you know, I tend to think that a lot of the neurological, not maybe, you know, I, um, you know, maybe not all of it, but some of it and, and the, the illnesses is our in, inability to let shit go. And so that's where I am right now in my life, because you know, I'm, I just don't want to internalize it. Disease is dis-ease, dis-ease. I want to let that shit go. Yeah. And when you were saying that you feel it, especially at your age, I was like thinking like, I think we all have that. You're probably just more present to it. <laughs> like I, I yes. feel like I, I was given the gift of fibromyalgia, which is like having chronic pain, which but because of that, it's always made me very present of what I'm yes. feeling when I'm in a situation I don't like when I'm not saying something because I'm afraid of it. Absolutely. So yeah, like not that it's not all that stress 100% creates all illness, but that yes, it really does affect our body. Mm -hmm. It um, does. So I'm glad really you're does. seeing that and working to let that shit go. I am. <laughs> let that shit go. What is something <laughs> that you do to raise your joy levels when you're maybe not feeling like right and you got to get on your 500th interview of the of the press week or like something mm, to pep you up. Mm, mm. Gratitude. It, and, and, and I just have one more interview after this and just before, cause I've been up at, since five and what I just stopped and I thanked God universe, her, um, for the gift that I've been given to be able to do this. It's like, how do you ask the universe for something? And then when it shows up, you sit and complain about it. Yeah, bitch. Damn it. I got to do it. Talk you about know, it myself. Come on. Again. Come on. Really? Really? <laughs> they keep asking you know, me the same question. Right? <laughs> and, and so what you do is you say, and how do you, how do you get a, around that? Is you just stay in a place of grace and gratitude. I am so grateful for this moment. I am so grateful that I'm sitting here in this moment because this moment was unlike any of the previous moments and the hours before your, 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 your questioning and your, your platform is so unique and wonderful. And, and it was a breath of fresh air, but I, but, but even though we we came at the questions a little differently, the angle in was great. And so I appreciate it. <laughs> You're welcome. I just have two more real quick. I ask everybody to apply this phrase to their own life. What is easiest for you is not always what is best mm. for you. Maybe a habit, a way of being, mm. you know, even how we talk about receiving, giving, mm -hmm. whatever. So what is easiest for me is blank. What is best for me is blank. Hmm. Hmm. What is easiest for me is showing up. What is best for me is really discerning the people, places, and things that I show up for. That was so good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the last question is, <laughs> I'm sure everyone can feel that and you're not the only one. Um, <laughs> the 
The last question is the name of the podcast is Claim It because I feel so often people are people we, it happens naturally, are chasing our mm. feelings of being enough, worthy, successful. Once I do this, have this, make the book, mm-hmm. whatever. And then I feel we can claim those feelings for ourselves every single day. I agree. And so I like to ask everybody, what are you claiming for yourself right now? I am claiming good health, mind, body, spirit. I want to be open and available. I want my mind to be open. I want my body to be at maximum peak performance. I want I want my spirit to be fulfilled and calm. Yeah, I want to calm that I'm that 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 uh, you know it's not that I'm not going to be concerned about things, but I I want to be worry free. And that goes back to let that shit go. I I want yeah. I want to be healthy mind body spirit. I'm claiming it. I already am yes. because it's yes. it's a conscious choice that we make every day. Well, how do you do it? It doesn't just show up. You work at it. Sometimes every minute of every the day, minute yes. of the day. It's a work <laughs> so in like, progress. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. Thank you so much, Denise. It has been such a pleasure to talk to you. And you could could definitely not tell that you've been up talking since 5 a.m. So much energy and life to you. <laughs> I'm grateful. It's gratitude. Thank you. I just love getting to talk to people and connect with them. This conversation with Denise left me feeling so good. Hope you could feel our energy through whatever you're listening to in your car, your headphones, wherever you are. <laughs> For show notes, go to yourjoyologist.com slash podcast. Um, You can find Denise, her website and her social media is at Speak It Clearly. So speakitclearly.com and at Speak It Clearly, her new voice. You can get the link to that in the show notes. It's called her new voice, I said. Her new book is The Power of Voice. The Power of Voice. I'm, I'm actually like super excited about this. I've been paging through it and it is really cool and it's fun to hear other people's stories too. I also, I love learning through people's stories. So extra cool. You have that as well. Um, For all things me, of course, I'm yourjoyologist.com. I'm at yourjoyologist. I love hearing from you. I'm so grateful that you listen. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. If you haven't yet, leave a review in the Apple podcast, especially, it really helps. And if you leave a review and screenshot it, send it to podcast at yourjoyologist.com. And I'll send you a gift for my product line. Just like I have everybody pick a keychain. I've got mugs. I've got journals. I've got the Own Your Awesome Affirmation deck. I've got lots of goodies to empower you to own who you are and to claim your life. You can go check those out at shop.yourjoyologist.com. Thank you so, so much again for tuning in. Let's think for the final thought. Um, You know, Denise mentioned, you know, how the book is for people to use their voice. Like, yeah, where, what is something that you're not saying? Where is somewhere like maybe you need to, you don't need to, you want to ask for help Um, or something in you know, social and whatever, not social life, any, some way of activism or something that you feel like a need that you wish people knew about or a change that were happening. Like what is something that you 
want to use your voice about. Think about that.